Here we go. This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Amaru Quis. Oh, wise, right? Amaruk Wise, Senior Wolf Advocate at the Center for Biological Diversity, specializing in wolf conservation. So, uh, let's see. Uh, Amaruk is a Senior West Coast Wolf Advocate for the Center for Biological Diversity. She's a former biologist and former attorney. She's, Amaruk, she's worked on wolf conservation policy, litigation strategy, and public engagement in the Northern Rockies, Alaska the Southwest, Pacific West, and at the federal level for nearly 24 years. Her chief focus is recovery and protection of wolves federally and on the West Coast. She is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin, uh, where she obtained her law degree. I'm sorry. Oh, boy, I really screwed this up. She is a graduate of the uh, University of Wisconsin with a master's in entomology and a graduate of Hastings Law School in San Francisco. So, uh, welcome, Hamru. Uh, your portfolio with the CBD is the conservation of the gray wolf in the United States. So, what what's the purpose of CBD taking on this mission? Well, John, thanks for having me on. Uh, happy to talk about our mission and uh, all things wolf with you this afternoon. The center's actually been working to restore wolves to their former habitat ever since the organization was started. Our founders actually started the center as part of their efforts to protect and restore uh, both the Mexican spotted owl and the Mexican gray wolf, but those are just two of the species we've worked on to protect, to restore, to save from extinction. We, we do what we do out of our love and reverence for nature. The welfare of human beings is deeply linked to nature. It's linked to the fact that there is this vast diversity of wild animals and plants in our world, and that biological diversity has intrinsic value, but its loss also really impoverishes us. It impoverishes society. So we work to secure a future for all species, great and small, that are hovering on the brink of extinction, and we want to make sure that those who come after us inherit a world where this beautiful, amazing wild still exists. Uh, that's great. Uh, so you're a biologist and a former church attorney, and what's the role that you play in, in accomplishing this? Yes, yeah, so as my title states, I am an advocate on behalf of wolves. Uh -huh. And my particular background as a biologist and a former attorney enables me to use all that I know about wolf biology, ecology, and behavior, uh, all that I know about the history of wolves in this country, and about state and federal laws and policies, and I bring all of those subjects together so that I can advocate for wolves, educate the public about wolves, and litigate to ensure that wolves have the protections that they need to survive, to recover, and, and hopefully to thrive. So what's CPD's objective in uh, protecting wolves? are so many reasons to protect wolves, but I, I think I'll give you four key ones. 
So first of all, species have intrinsic value. They matter all by themselves, uh-huh. no matter what we think of them. So, so we fight for wolves because they have a right to exist, to thrive and to live out their lives, to raise their families and to be wolves. Um, secondly, wolves are part of the fabric of wild nature. They fill a vital role in nature because of their interactions with prey species like deer and elk, the resulting impacts of that interaction on other species, right down to the vegetation that the deer and elk eat, and then the other large and small predators in nature and scavenger species. Mm-hmm. Uh, a third reason is that wolves are desperately in need of social justice. Uh, if you think about their history, when Europeans arrived on these shores, there were an estimated 2 million gray wolves across all of North America, but by the early 1920s, Wolves have been almost entirely eradicated in the lower 48 and greatly reduced in numbers in Canada and Alaska. And this is a thing that a lot of people don't think about, but unlike most other species which became endangered, we didn't lose wolves because we destroyed their habitat. Mm-hmm. We lost them because we killed them all, or almost all of them. And the only reason we have wolves back in some places now is because they were given federal protections in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And at that time, all that was left were fewer than 1,000 in Minnesota and some in Isle Royale. Mm-hmm. Uh, those protections allowed the Minnesota population to expand. Then some wolves were reintroduced into the northern Rockies and the southwest. Wolves are just barely starting to make their way into the west coast. But federal protections for wolves have been stripped. States are now managing wolves in the few states where wolves exist, and wolves are again facing the very same violence that wiped them out in the first place. And I'll tell you reason number four, why we continue to fight for wolves, is because they aren't yet recovered. Wolves have been prematurely stripped of protections and under the extremely aggressive hunting and trapping seasons that are being set by states, their numbers will be even further reduced, and we won't see wolf recovery at all in all the great habitat that still exists in other parts of the country that wolves haven't even returned to yet. Mm-hmm. That's four very strong reasons why everybody should be fighting for wolves. So does uh, CBD have a geographical objective for preserving the wolves? So um, this gets to a larger conservation biology type of question. Uh-huh. And so let's dive into that a little bit. You know, some people say, what are the numbers that you want to see restored? Uh-huh. Um, how many wolves should there be? And it's not so much a matter of a specific number. You know, first of all, the number of wolves we currently have in the lower 48 states, which is about 6,500 to 7,000 total, is too few and it's too disjunct to consider them recovered. Um, 65 to 7,000 wolves, 6,500 to 7,000 wolves is about 1% of their historic numbers, occupying less than 15% of their former range. Uh, We know from studies that have been done, and the entire U.S. hasn't yet been studied, but in places where it has been done, we already know that there currently exists at least 530,000 square miles of habitat deemed to be good wolf habitat but wolves are currently only occupying about a third of that. So we need more wolves in more places because there's more places for them. But if you want to talk a little bit more about numbers, and again, I'm not going to give you specific numbers. What I'm going to talk about is this concept of conservation biology called 
the three R's of conservation biology, and these stand for representation, redundancy, and resiliency. And this applies to any species, not just wolves. Representation means you want the animal back in all of its historical habitats. If, for instance, if wolves once lived in the forests, mountains, and plains, you'd want wolf populations back in all of those representative places. And then redundancy means you want multiple populations of the species in each of those habitats. And then resiliency means you want enough wolves in each of those populations so that so they can withstand any catastrophic events like disease, but also so that you've got enough wolves in different populations that are interconnected with each other to reach each other through dispersal to ensure genetic variability, because without genetic variability, you're not going to have sustainability into the long-term future. So it's not saying there is a hard and fast number that we need, but it's very, very clear from the small number of wolves on the ground now and the very few places which they live, that this by no means meets any of those three R's. So we need lots more wolves in lots more places, and it just so happens there's lots more places where they could live. Right. So now that uh, the feds have uh, lifted the protection on the wolves, uh, Idaho has uh, enacted legislation that would allow them to come down to 10% of their January 1st population. They could be hunted down to 10% of their population. Yeah, so uh, Idaho passed Senate Bill 1211, which is just a horrific piece of legislation. It, it allows the state to hire private contractors to oh. shoot traps and snare wolves. Um, it triples the annual state funding to kill wolves. It allows wolf trapping year-round on private property. It it removes restrictions on how many wolves a person can kill. Um, it combines hunting, trapping, and snaring of wolves all on one tag. Uh, it allows wolves even to be hunted and run over by ATVs or snowmobiles, which is about as stomach-churning a concept right. as, as one could think of. I mean, th th this cannot, under any circumstance, be considered fair chase hunt, and no ethical hunter could possibly support this, and no ethical hunter does, and yet this law has been rammed through, and yes, it truly could reduce the population by 90%, and the legislators who introduced the bill said that is their aim. That's what they're hoping to do. Uh -huh. um, we, we've seen the same thing happen in Montana, where multiple bills were passed, and then their commission enacted regulations to enact those bills, and you know, it allows things like, um, uh, uh, um, so, so they've extended the season for trapping wolves to two weeks earlier and two weeks later. So it starts the first Monday after Thanksgiving, then it goes all the way to March 15th. And this is like right through the early part of the year, through when wolves are mating and becoming pregnant. So it'll have a huge impact on killing wolves that otherwise would have given birth. Um, it allows snaring on public and private lands. And if you don't know what snaring is, uh, it's as gruesome, if not more gruesome, than foothold traps. It's this little band of, of wire that's set out as a loop, and it's mm -hmm. usually from a tree. And so anything wandering by could walk into that snare. It could be your kid. It could be your dog. It could be a grizzly bear or a lynx or a wolf. 
and the snare immediately tightens down as the animal pulls and strangles the animal to death, an incredibly painful death over a couple of days. Uh, Montana is going to allow night hunting of wolves on private lands. It's going to allow the use of baits for hunting and trapping wolves uh, statewide. Uh, and, and, and just as horrifically, they're eliminating any quotas in the wolf hunting units that are just adjacent to Yellowstone National Park. So some of the wolves in that park have already been killed when they have left the park in previous years and wandered into a, a wolf management unit that had like a low quota, only two or three wolves could be killed. Now the quota has been totally limited, uh, uh, removed, I'm sorry. And, and so um, many, many wolves in Yellowstone who are beloved by hundreds of thousands of members of the public and who have been studied for decades now by the biologists there are at risk of being trapped or, or shot or snared when they set foot outside the park. So we are seeing a, a, a horrific uh, backward leap in, in how uh, state, uh, states manage their wolves. And, and you know, what we're seeing in Idaho and, and Montana is a prime example of showing that states are not capable of responsibly managing and stewarding wolf populations into the future. We've also just seen that in Wisconsin, where um, since the federal protections were lifted there and across most of the country in January, already saw a horrific wolf hunt take place, and they're planning on holding another wolf hunt this fall already. Um, believe me, the lawsuits are piling up. So why has the Biden administration been uh, refused to uh, reinstall protections for the wolf? You know, uh, this is this is a question that is gnawing at all of us daily and nightly. You know, the way that just to explain to your listeners, and maybe your, many of your listeners already know this, but wolves in the northern Rockies were already stripped of protections back in 2011 by an act of Congress, not by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and it made it so that delisting could not be appealed in court. Um, so they've had hunting and trapping seasons there, and then Wyoming was delisted in 2012, so they also had hunting and trapping seasons there, you know, going back for a decade now. Each year, they've become more and more aggressive. This year, they've gotten extremely aggressive, I think, because they've been emboldened by the near-nationwide delisting that just took place in January. That delisting actually was ordered by the Trump administration back in November of 2020. The, the rule to delist rules nearly nationwide was uh, published in the Federal Register November 4th. It went into effect 60 days later, January 4th. That went into effect before the Biden administration took office, and under the law, if a rule has already taken effect before the new administration comes in, they can't automatically reverse it. So we already knew that that was not an option, but we and other groups urged the Biden administration to review a whole list of rules mm -hmm. to enact under the Trump administration and to revisit the decisions that were made to see if they may overturn their own decision. One of those rules was the wolf delisting rule. So we asked the Biden administration to have U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which is an agency that serves under the administration, to review the rule. Um, they have not yet responded in terms of an answer one way or another. And in the meantime, we all across the country have been ramping up the pressure, uh, writing to 
um, sending alerts to petition scientist letters to Biden himself and to his newly appointed Secretary of the Department of Interior, Deb Holland, mm-hmm. asking them to step in and take some action. Uh, a group of congressional representatives also sent a letter uh, about a month ago. We're not really sure why we're not seeing any action. Uh, there's a couple things that could happen. So, uh, for instance, in January, the Center for Biological Diversity and multiple other organizations filed a lawsuit against the administration uh, challenging the delisting and urging its overturning. That lawsuit is still pending in court. Oral arguments will take place November 12th. Uh, about a week, week, week and a half ago, there was a filing deadline. Uh, the opening briefs had been filed, and about a week and a half ago, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service was required by the courts to file its responsive brief. And so they filed a brief that still supported their decision to delist wolves. Uh, a lot of people uh, became really outraged, thinking that was Biden taking some new action. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't just U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service standing by their old position. We had hoped that there would be a change of heart, that they would review the rule and decide to withdraw it because the scientific peer review that came out on that rule absolutely panned it, uh, said that mm-hmm. this rule for listing is not based on best available science. Um, there is not uh, evidence here that wolves are fully recovered, but moreover, there's not evidence to show that the states are capable of responsibly managing wolves. And before the feds delist a species under the Federal Endangered Species Act, one of the things they have to make sure of first is that there's adequate regulatory mechanisms in place to keep the species thriving, even if they strip it of protection. And uh, obviously, the examples we're seeing here with how states are, are gunning down their wolves show that they're not capable of, of providing adequate regulatory mechanisms to protect wolves. And the science that the service relied on uh, was misused. They, uh, some of the science who, scientists who wrote some of the papers that the service uh, referred to wrote in to say that, no, you've you've misinterpreted what our conclusions were. This isn't at all what our paper said. So there's many legal reasons and many scientific reasons for the Biden administration to uh, reverse course and withdraw its rule. Evidently, it's not planning on doing so at this point. So the court case is still going forward. We and other groups feel we all have very strong cases. to have the court overturn the delisting, uh, but of course nobody has a crystal ball. Well, one of the one of the problems is that FWS doesn't have a chief right now, and so we're waiting for a new chief to be appointed. Uh, that is absolutely a problem. Yes, and we have no understanding why it's taking the Biden administration so long. Well, I've been preoccupied with across uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, understandably so, but in yeah. the meantime, we have a lot of wildlife that's uh, dying. And, right. and uh, as I said at the very beginning, uh, our loss of biodiversity in this world is a human crisis as well. Oh, yes. Uh, okay, so uh, tell me about the, the people who oppose the gray wolf. Uh, who are they? What, what's, their, what's their primary objective or to, uh, to shoot wolves? You know, 
I think you could probably categorize them into three, I guess, classifications. Mm -hmm. You know, one, one is the livestock industry, which since Europeans arrived on the shore and began replacing wild ungulates with cattle and sheep, have been a driving force in the eradication of wolves to begin with and continue to be a driving force in their seeking the ability to kill more wolves, to have the agency kill wolves for them, and if they could, to undo all the progress that has been made to date in recovering wolves. So the livestock industry is definitely a big wolf opponent and has a big political footprint. Uh, another are the sports hunting organizations. Um, you know, things like uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the National Rifle Association, Safari Club International, mm -hmm. and others. In Wisconsin, that whole hunt came about because a hunting group called Hunter Nation filed a lawsuit to force the state to go forward with a hunt, even though the state's own law said a wolf hunt wouldn't start until November. Mm. So definitely there's this very strong footprint of the sports hunting industry as well. And then recognize, uh, and, and the Wisconsin case is a good example of this link. So the executive director for Hunter Nation is the former CEO for Americans for Prosperity. Americans for Prosperity is a Koch brothers funded and right. created entity, which is intended to set up you know, little uh, um, uh, groups across the country that look like they're grassroots groups but they're not. They're astroturf. They're funded by this large political mechanism that is a, an entity that wants to get rid of all government regulations, wants to be able to do whatever it wants to on, on lands that are owned by the public, uh, wants to plunder those lands, and takes advantage of people who perhaps have anti-government sentiments um, to kind of prop them up. Uh, because I doubt that the Koch brothers really care one way or another whether or not wolves get hunted or eradicated, right. but they view wolves as an impediment if their protection is an impediment to whatever they want to plunder in the way of oil and gas drilling, for instance, or, or other types of development. So um, you've got the ranchers, uh, you've got the sports hunting groups, and then you have the general public who distrust and dislikes government intervention into their way of life, and then behind those people are the, the, the dark money with deep pockets who take advantage of people who are feeling animosity towards wolves or animosity right. towards government intervention into their way of life. And as I said, these, these are forces that have been around since, since uh, European invaders arrived here. And they still have a very strong political footprint and strong political stranglehold on federal and state agencies that are charged with managing the public's wildlife, including wolves, on behalf of the public, but instead manage them on behalf of those they view to be their clients, the livestock industry and the hunting industry. Are there ranchers and other